Hello everyone and welcome to the Risk Acumen podcast, which offers thoughtful insight around risk engineering and management. Now, despite the fact that the digital revolution started, what, midway through the previous century and the World Wide Web being with us for more than 30 years, we still tend to separate online from offline, digital from non-digital, cyber from physical, as if they were part of entirely separate worlds. This kind of silo mentality, especially when it comes to risk and risk management, is not really how we should be seeing things, according to my guest, Guy Warren, who is CEO of ITRS Group, a global organization that offers IT expertise and helps with operational resilience. Hi, Guy. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Johnny. Good to be here. Now, before we get on to the main topic of discussion and this apparent disconnect between cyber and so-called real-world risk management, Tell me a little bit about you, Guy, and, and your organization. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Chief Executive of ITRS Group. We provide uh, monitoring and analytics tools to enterprise customers, uh, a lot of them in the financial services, but also telco, media, large service providers, technology service providers, MSPs, they're called multi-service providers, um, and, and organizations around the world, uh, generally organizations that require a very high level of availability, uptime, 99.99, and guaranteed performance, even being slow slightly, can be a major impact on their business. You can imagine if you're a, you know, a bank or a, a telco and your online streaming media, your Netflix is running slow, that's a real problem. If you're a gaming site and uh, your shared game, online game is performing badly, people will stop playing. So highly demanding IT environments, which often also need high security, need to be well locked down, often have valuable assets inside the, the, the data centers, which bad actors will will, will target. Yeah, and as I, as I mentioned in my introduction, in your role there and then the services and so on that you offer, you're, you're particularly concerned, aren't you, about this silo mentality around things like cybersecurity and operational resilience within organizations. So, so, so what's the problem and why do you feel it needs to be addressed, Guy? Yeah, I think... Um, the industry has grown up requiring operational teams to run the data center and to do it you know, with high availability and high performance. And operational disciplines and tooling has grown you know, very strongly around that. Cybersecurity probably came in a lot later. And the obvious thing to do, as it was back in the day with physical buildings, is to try and secure the perimeter. You, you have you know, access gates into a building. You have big fortress gates on a, on a city. Um, and so things like firewalls were invented, and it was assumed that if you could secure the perimeter of your IT, that you were probably safe. People couldn't get in. The people who were inside were trusted and weren't going to do anything wrong, and therefore that was the approach that was taken. So most organizations would set up an IT security team, maybe even not reporting into uh, the, the head of production. Uh, often there was a chief information security officer, And that's probably pretty much how it is for most organizations today. There would be a CISO, Chief Information Security Officer, and a CIO, uh, Chief Information Officer, and they may not be the same person. They may not even report into each other. All of the skills, knowledge, disciplines, tooling, processes are embedded in the security team. And the operations team get very little training and tooling that lets them try and improve the security of the environment. Their job is to keep it up and running and uh, highly performant. And to add an extra responsibility for it to be secure as well hasn't been done generally. 
But I think it's getting, it's a bit like trying to bolt quality on the end of a poor production process. If you're not putting a car together properly, you can have the best QA in the world, but you will miss a lot of defects that are just impossible to find until the car is in the real world. The same is true with trying to add security on after the event to an IT estate. You will find vulnerabilities and you will be able to shut them down, but you'll miss some, which will eventually be exploited by bad actors who are trying to get inside your your estate. Yeah, and I guess I guess the lines have just become increasingly blurred, haven't they, between the between the two areas and and with the pandemic, where we've seen even further accelerated digital transformation within organizations and the world, this this makes this even more of an issue now, doesn't it? It does. We are seeing a slight change. We've had something called DevOps for a while now. It was brought in by the big internet giants, your Googles, your Facebooks, your uh, Amazons, etc., where they were running you know, very large and complex software in shared data centers. Um, and they wanted to be able to bring new features through incredibly quickly. So they would develop them and put them live. Someone like Google will be making two or 3,000 changes to the to the software that we use in the internet the search engines the email etc the maps all those products that google have available are being updated and changed all the time and that focus would still be around performance and availability what we're now seeing is something called DevSecOps, which is sec is the security side of it which says the development and operating of software ought to have security embedded in it and knowing that it is being deployed and managed securely is, and even designed to be secure is actually becoming more and more important. Not too many organizations yet are doing full DevSecOps, but it, says, it does say the direction the world's going in. It's a good, that's a good direction. Once you start moving your what would have been in your data center, which you think you've locked down into the cloud, you need to make sure that the cloud has itself been secured properly, have all the default passwords been changed, have all the other security settings that would give someone uh, access if they knew AWS inside out been changed. Um, there is now software which you can point at your cloud tenancy and it will tell you all the vulnerabilities you may have left on or not shut off. Um, that someone could now access the equivalent of your data center, but it's obviously running in AWS or Azure or wherever. Yeah, and this point about blurred lines, Guy, can you can you give me some examples, perhaps, of how, let's say, cyber risk is really just part of everyday real-world risk? There was the recent colonial pipeline attack, for example, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. So the risks are, are many and various. Um, they can be everything from trying to stop you trading, what would be called a denial-of-service attack, DOS attack, sometimes distributed denial-of-service attack, where a bad actor wants your website off the internet and they will attack it with hundreds of robots that are trying to bring your web service down. There are people who want to come inside and steal data. They might be straight criminals who want financial data of one form or another. Um, They might be, this is very common at the moment, ransomware. So again, they get inside your data center and encrypt key pieces of your data and software and won't unencrypt it unless you pay a ransom. And those ransom can be tens of millions or even hundreds of millions of, of dollars to get your own data back. And sometimes the de-encryption is never given to you. Uh, so there's a whole industry growing. And then there are those who steal IP. A lot of American companies have claimed that their intellectual property has been stolen by nation state bad actors where a country has deliberately 
picked up their IP, not to blackmail them, not to trash it, but to copy it. And that can be software, that can be a design patent, it can be you know manufacturing processes, and they're taken to another country, copied, and they then flood your market with um, replicas of your product, which has taken you years or tens of years to develop. So the motives can be many and various, um, and then they can be you know political or whatever. There's, there were a lot of accusations after the 2016 election of tampering of the election, and again after the 2020 elections of tampering of the election through the voting machines, which had multiple vulnerabilities in them. So it depends what your objectives are um, as to you know why people are coming in. I think the other thing is that the, this flaw that by having firewalls you've protected it is easily beaten. We've seen a number of attacks recently where the bad actors had embedded their code inside software, which was then deployed in the data center willingly. It could be monitoring tools, which is what my business uh, sells, that actually has bad code in it, which will then go and do whatever damage you want it to do. And you, you willingly installed it in, it in what you thought was to, to monitor your estate. And, and lo and behold, it's actually now doing damage to your estate uh, without your knowledge. And that's it. Then these digital and sort of coded threats, when I say code, I mean code threats, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they, they are very real world outcomes. Yeah. For example, if somebody was to tamper with, you know, something IoT, the Internet of Things, mm-hmm. that can disrupt the supply chain. Access control systems, likewise, could open up physically your your business to yeah. to somebody who wants to get, to get in. Fire suppression systems can be tampered with, which can lead to massive physical damage, and and that's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah, you know, the Colonial Pipeline clearly it took them four days to undo that, and there was no gas going through to that part of North America. Um, yeah. There has been penetration of physical devices. They're called programmable logic controllers (PLCs), which were controlling power stations and Iran claim that their PLCs, these controllers which control production lines and cooling systems, etc., had been hacked by the Israelis and they were shutting off key systems to nuclear power stations. So yeah. yes, if your you know, IT varies from a full computer all the way through to a, an embedded device like a, an electronic valve, um, most of them have some electronics which can be tampered with. Um, there's a company in uh, San Francisco have been investigated because the chips which they manufactured had a backdoor built into them and those chips are used in thousands and tens of thousands of computers and the computers with those chips are open for someone to come in unbeknown and your actual computer chip is is uh, attacking you so yeah it, it it doesn't have to be full computers in a data center it can be a fire, a fire suppression system it can be uh, access control gates for entry to a building it can be a digital passport it can be, you know, you name it, it can be hacked. I guess it can even be something as simple as email where somebody you know, uses social engineering techniques as well. Um, yeah, to again uh, fool somebody and gain access to something that then allows them to, to breach security systems yeah. and so on. There's a well-reported case of, um, in, in Formula One, uh, in the 90s, two drivers uh, were, were racing for uh, McLaren, and one of them was told on the radio to come into the pits and he duly came into the pits. And when he got there, the team were just standing there completely shocked why he'd come in. And he said, I got a message to come in and I acknowledged it. And they said, we didn't give you the message. So someone had managed to hack his radio 
yeah. and <laughs> telling <laughs> the pits. So, you know, the, 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 the goals are nefarious and the techniques are, they now have a secure comms, I should add. I, I haven't to find that out. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it depends what goal you have. That might be worth a lot of money if you can win a, a Formula One championship because a leading driver pulls in thinking he's been summoned to the pits. It's a good example. It makes me think of smart vehicles as well, and there's potential yeah, problems even there, isn't there, with people's safety that somebody could literally hack into your car and, and create some damage that, that, that would uh, put you in danger. And how would you prove it? The, the car manufacturer would say, my software was good, it's fully tested and checked and been certified by a regulatory body, but someone who wants you to crash only has to get access to your software and your car doesn't do what it's supposed to do and accelerates when it should brake or drives into an oncoming vehicle. How can you prove that wasn't just either an error in the software or a genuine mistake or whatever? Yeah. It's, it, it, it's unlimited uh, risk with technology now and often very physical risk like, you know, the death of someone in a car if it's a yeah. self-driving car. Or even most, most cars today have some degree of smart vehicles, um, whether it's a lane-changing indicator or distance for, you know, uh, cruise control, dynamic cruise control. If that's overridden and you think you're safe, suddenly you put yourself at risk. Yeah. So, so we can see that the, the, the kind of digital and physical risks are, are, are really merging yeah. in, in many ways. So, so what, what do you feel is needed, Guy? What needs to be done? I think cybersecurity needs to go right back to the beginning and be embedded from the start of a software engineering process. There is a technique called uh, zero trust networks. It basically says, assume that any other piece of software that's trying to talk to you is a baddie and make them prove that they are a trusted counterparty that you should be talking with. Most software is actually a combination of pieces of software working in concert but the default is respond to any API that's called. If you're told to give it some data, you give it some data um, because generally you're operating inside the firewall, this concept of a secure perimeter. So you have to design your software, both the way the software works, the way data is managed, or both on the wire and at rest, such that it is not easily got to, even if someone is inside your data center, or particularly if someone's inside your data center. And then as you come out through the operational processes, People who have a a normal job for the operational resilience need to be operational security and resilience, the DevSecOps paradigm I talked about earlier. We're trained them on what CVEs are. Common vulnerability um, and exposures is a term used by security guys. I wonder how many operations guys will know what a CV is or how to close it down. It can be anything from how you've configured Linux through to you know, a, a known bad actor or a known bad piece of software. But we do not train software engineers or operations staff on security properly. We expect to try and add it on afterwards, and that's not going to work. It's too late. There's too many places you can have a hole in it. Yeah, so each needs to have better understanding of each other's disciplines in essence. So it's yeah, yeah. starting for all of them right at the beginning. You're not allowed to write code unless you understand security. Yeah. And if you're a traditional kind of security, physical risk manager, or, or you're responsible for that within the operational chain, then you need to know a lot more about the digital side of things as well, because it, it will have real world threat. Yeah, totally. Yeah. totally. And that, and yeah. that can be uh, a storm model, a hurricane model. We have the famous 1987, no, there's no hurricane coming, and then the trees all got blown down, as we all well remember. 
yeah. if someone deliberately tampered with a weather reporting system and, and shipping and a bunch of other things took decisions based on it. Um, I'm afraid digital crime is very broad now and we rely far too well, we do not too much, we rely heavily on technology and it being reliable and, and not being tampered with. Uh, it won't be a matter of time before we have very significant physical risks triggered by technology uh, failures or, or tampering. And and as a consequence, that, that spills off into connected fields that are tasked with risk management and risk transfer, such as insurance. Okay. Uh, yeah, risk engineers, advisors and underwriters also need to expand their skills around cybersecurity and digital transformation and all of that because that is the, ultimately going to have the real-world consequences that impact in that area as well. I completely agree. Let me, my customers, who are themselves heavily regulated and very risk-averse, as they should be, are now sending very lengthy and detailed questionnaires back to companies like mine who provide tools that run in their data center to say, can you prove the provenance of your code base? They call it supply chain security. So do I know every line of code and where it came from and that none of the code written and embedded in my software has been put there by a bad actor? And can you prove that you're in control of all the libraries you buy in, all the processing of it? Plus, if you're running a SaaS service, this would have been quite common anyway, is your data center itself secure such that we're not at risk? But the supply chain thing is a new thing. It came off the back of the SolarWinds uh, breach, which was a monitoring tool that had been hacked by a nation state actor, bad actor, and yeah. um, a large number of companies had their security, including the Department of Homeland Security and the, a few others were, were notably hacked by it. So it's good. You, people are having to go back upstream and say, I, I can be as secure as I can be, but I'm relying on those programmable logic controllers. I'm relying on my fire suppression unit. I'm relying on my monitoring tool to also be secure. I better go and check. So if you're if you're one of these operational people or you're you're a more traditional risk manager, shall we say, what what kind of resources are out there, guy, that that will help um, these people extend their skills and their and their knowledge so that they're more aware and more au fait with uh, with all of this sort of digital security area and so on. As I say, it used to be a specialist domain all of its own. There's plenty of information on the internet aimed at a CISO about how to be secure and how to lock down their environments. I think the risk managers um, now need to start reading. They need to be aware that there's a risk based on this and start reading uh, what can be done in an organization, both to lock down its own uh, processes and tooling and everything, and also to reach back into its supply chain and make sure that's secure. Um, it's, there's no shortage of information. That's not the issue. It's the awareness and the focus on it that's, that's been the uh, the limiting factor, I think. Yeah. And, 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 and to sum up, it's just time to stop separating cyber risk from physical risk and start seeing it all as just risk. Correct. Correct. <laughs> yeah. We've got five six examples. They overlap very, very much. So um, people used to just worry about, you know, a GDPR data breach or someone stealing some data and, contacting your customers that's now a trivial risk compared to some of the other risks we're talking about now yeah absolutely so yeah link it all together rather than keeping keeping things apart correct brilliant guy well well i mean thanks for the thanks for the insight today it's been a real pleasure chatting with you and um yeah it's it's fascinating because i think we're all sometimes a little bit afraid of digital terminology and 
and so on as well. And that kind of almost puts you off where you feel it's an area that you might feel an expert in risk, but that you are completely put off by this separate field where you feel like you almost have to start again. Yeah, there's plenty of information out there. You can start with a dummy's guide and build it up. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's just knowing that it's a problem and you need to deal with it. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks, Guy. And um, well, that's all for the latest episode of the Risk Acumen podcast. If you have any questions or comments around the topic we've been dis- discussing today or any other of our risk-related content, please just head to our LinkedIn page. You can find a link at www.riskacumen.co.uk. Thanks again, Guy. And uh, until the next time, everyone, goodbye for now.